The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very well, welcome everybody. You're watching Sportbox in your headlines this morning. Stocks on Wall Street fall for a third straight day. European equities hit a one and a half year low amid a slew of central bank tightening conditions. Italy's political parties hold their final campaign rallies ahead of the snap election that was called for, for September 25th as leader of Fratelli d'Italia, Giorgia Maloney, rails against opposition to right-wing policies. Those who dream of a proud Italy are not scared. Those who want to be proud of their nation, of their people, of their flag, that kind of Italy is not scared. That type of Italy is ready. We are ready. And you will see it together on September 25th. The Bank of England appearing at odds with the government, with one voting member questioning policy as it tries to cool surging inflation, whilst the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng, yes, our third this year, prepares to cut taxes in his mini-budget. Meanwhile, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov walks out of the UN Security Council meeting as Western leaders confront Moscow over atrocities in Ukraine, while referendums on joining Russia begin in the east of the country. Michael's put this lovely show together, and I yes. just thought I'd start off by um, just, just a, delaying it for a couple of moments. And, and we've got Shimano and a great guest. But, yeah. but you sent me a tweet. He, he sent me a tweet yesterday. Right. Uh, 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 well, a, a, a conversation mm. between a broker, I won't mention the uh, brokerage, yeah. uh, and a client. Yes. And it got me thinking a lot about market conditions. Now, mm. on this conversation, and, and you can find this on the Twitter sphere and elsewhere, ladies and gentlemen, but it yes. is brilliant. It is a very... Um, fruity conversation. There's a lot of swearing in it, so don't do it anywhere near the children, which you told me after I'd always started playing it in front of my youngest daughter. Yeah, so quickly getting the sound out. Anyway, it's between a broker and a client, uh, and basically the client is asking the broker to buy a certain amount of stock in a certain company on the London Stock Exchange. And to which the broker very politely is saying, well, I can't really get hold of that stock. Maybe we'll put, run it on the book and we'll just try and run this order. And the, bro- and the client is getting more and more aggressive and more and more, how can I say, his language is getting fruitier and fruitier and using most of the, the words that you're not supposed to say uh, in polite company. Uh, anyway, the conversation is very important because it said to me a lot about liquidity. Uh, and about the lack of liquidity in depth in the markets as well. And I think that's a metaphor for our times because I've heard a lot about the lack of liquidity in various asset classes, which is creating more volatility. Now, in this case, it was a a building stock in the United Kingdom, but it could have been in the bond market, it could have been in the secondary uh, convertible market, or it could have been in the foreign exchange markets because they're seeing some extraordinary oscillation as exemplified by what the, the Japanese felt they had to do yesterday with the yen. So before I move to the word, I don't know if you want to say a quick word on liquidity, but I would say to our viewers, if you have a, a strong disposition to swearing, please try and find this 
conversation. It is quite hilarious. Karen? I had the impression that we'd had a few issues anyway in terms of liquidity and single-name stocks for a while, which yes. is why you've seen magnified moves on reporting days, because you get the ability to exchange more stock on those days. There's more trading in and out of individual stock names. So you do get the, the magnified to the upside and downside move on those particular days for that reason. But I think uh, clearly as we talk about market conditions, we've magnified some of those problems now. Um, Thank it, you, by the way. It was oh, no, no, it was well, really it was, very uh, funny. I mean, I enjoyed it. I but, mean, you know, yeah. I did think. My of wife you. didn't enjoy my youngest daughter hearing okay. it, but that, that's fine. All right, but I did think of you when you. Uh, when we often talk about, you know, um, can you fulfil that order? Yeah. Yes, you can. It's just the price at which you're prepared to fulfil the order. Absolutely, and the broker refused to fill it. Absolutely, and that's the point that I wanted to make about you know your your question about liquidity. At the end of the day, you can ultimately. Uh, fill the order and you can do the business. The problem, as you point out, with liquidity is that you won't get the price you want because it's much harder to find a better touch, right? Um, and, and that's the issue, isn't it? That if you are going to transact, and this is the point that we always make uh, when you become worried about the prospect of a serious bear market, um, who is vulnerable, who is exposed, who is in uh, perhaps a position, a tourist in a position that they no longer want to be in because they're now the wrong side of that trade. Mm -hmm. How do they get out of that trade? Perhaps they don't get out of that trade, they sell something else that they yeah. can sell, sell what you can, not where what you there can. is yeah. more liquidity. And that's the point, isn't it? As we watch these equity markets, and we've had three down days in the United States, have those three down days been about the worsening in economic conditions in the United States and the move in interest rates purely? Or have they been about the fact that because of that lack of liquidity yeah. in other parts of the market, investors are selling down, institutional investors are selling down equity positions to raise liquidity, to keep their heads above water, even as maybe they're having to make margin calls on their bond positions or elsewhere. We've got if you think about what you're going to sell these days, I mean, the playbook for the last couple of years, if you have that type of event where you want to raise a little bit of extra cash, you sell your tech holdings because they were so far and away exceeding uh, some of the other performances in the portfolio. But now if you think about what's happened in recent times, as reset in valuations in the tech sector, that is not an easy go-to. You can't just go to the tech portfolio, sell some of those holdings and raise some cash for liquidity purposes. I thought it was very interesting going into Fed Day, we also had the mix of events around the geopolitics in Russia, which we we're covering, we saw the gold price mark higher, which I said at the time is very interesting positioning to be buying the gold price going into the Fed meeting. As we know, it's unlocked a much more dollar strength at this point. So those that wanted to get out of the gold position were probably sitting on some instant losses. But I think it's much more difficult now. And that means that we may be seeing liquidity raised in lots of various different parts of the market. Well, Defensive plays have been one of the areas, for instance, that have been well, ahead well, of other well, areas. That, that, that's a luxury, being able to raise liquidity, Karen, because as we all know, the cost of financing has gone through the roof and it is exposing, I'm afraid, a very naked emperor uh, in many cases as well with no clothes on. But anyway, if, if you want to find a very fruity conversation, just say broker, client. Uh, I can't tell you what stock, but it, it's, it's very funny. You'll find it very easily as well. But it does absolutely typify the problems we're seeing in some of these markets and as Karen and Jeff was just saying there as well. So we were down across the board. It wasn't necessarily going to be the way yesterday. There was good oscillation in the market, good volatility, but was there trading on the price you wanted to trade it or were you just having to take any price you could in order to 
put your sell orders in and indeed uh, satiate your buyers as well. The Treasuries is absolutely fascinating at the moment as well. And I don't say that lightly. Look at this. We've now got a 3.72 level on the 10-year paper. The two-year hasn't actually moved since we last looked at this yesterday morning, 4.1. So a slight lessening uh, of that, that curve move. But again, not much. It's still at a big discount, the 10-year yield over the two-year as well. Dollar crosses. I mean, my goodness me, for years, the most boring people in the market were your Forex commentators, weren't they? Not anymore. They're having their moment in the sun as well. Let's just go straight across the board. The British government is chucking vast amounts of money uh, at the consumer in terms of fiscal largesse. And we're going to hear more of it from the third Chancellor of the Exchequer that we've had this year in the United Kingdom. And it's the same government, ostensibly. They're still Tories. Um, so what have we had? We've had Rishi Sunak. Then we had Nadim Zahawi temporarily in that post as well. Now we've got Kwasi Kwarteng as well. Let's just see. But the net net at the moment is it seems like a green light to buy the greenback and sell the pound at the moment. Euro dollar again trading near its lows, 0.98. But the one I want to look at is the dollar yen. Where's that one? That's the one we need. To, the one, the one currency we need to look at, team, as well is the dollar yen. But anyway, look, the dollar yuan, uh, 7.1. Uh, it's ruined my big build up there. Oh, here it is. Thank God for that, Michael. Well done. Well played. Right, 142. 142. Interesting. Got up to 146 yesterday. And despite the fact that the Bank of Japan uh, uh, was talking in the morning about we are going to stay the course and we will not hesitate to ease on monetary policy. Well, that was a green light to the ladies and gentlemen buying the buck against the yen. Took it up to nearly 146. And then all of a sudden, boom, did you see it? 5 p.m. I think it was local time in Japan. Suddenly the wheels fell off the long dollar trade. We plummeted plummeted down to uh, 1.4 because finally the Japanese decided enough was enough. We are going to roll up our sleeves for the first time in 24 years and we're getting into this market as well because we're going to put you speculators down. The speculators are back today though. Got it to 140, now it's 142. Are we going to see one of those delicious battles that we've seen a few times over the years? And we've referenced 1992 with our production team yesterday because that was only 30 years ago, not 33 years ago. I the producers remember what I was talking about. Uh, the fact of the matter is, now for the first time in 24 years, the Japanese authorities are taking on the Forex markets. Is that going to be a battle royale? Let's have a look at the Asian indices as well. I don't think we've got the Nikkei today. We've got a, an autumnal equinox holiday. They have the best holidays in Japan, don't they? Uh, and if you are celebrating in Japan, uh, have a lovely, relaxing day. Kospi in South Korea down 1.7%. ASX 200 down 2%. But you can't keep a good Aussie down. Talking of good Aussies. I was just wondering about that song. When you think about 1998 and the intervention in markets, one song sort of comes to mind, doesn't well, it? 1998 was a great year for markets. I mean, he remembers it. Uh, you were probably still like at school, Karen. You were... 1998, right. what do we have? We had the tailwind of the East Asia crisis. Mm -hmm. We had LTCM. We had a Russia default crisis. I'm sure Argentina was doing something as well. Mm. It was a rum old year for markets. Yeah, and then arguably the central bank response to all of that yeah. is what gave us the tech bubble. Yep. And then, yep, yeah. The yeah. But uh, anyway, we need to push on, I think, before we ruin Mike's rundown any further. JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon has warned of a hard landing amid global tightening in an interview with our sister channel, TV18. Let's take a listen. People should be prepared for getting worse because we've never, you know, this war, quantitative tightening, fiscal stimulation, 
the tension between America and China. These are just very serious things that have you know, bad economic outcomes. But I think a soft landing is probably a much, very small chance at this point, but you know, mild recession, recession, hard reset, they're all possible. And I, you know, it's hard for me to give them odds, but they're all kind of possible. It's the final countdown to the Italian election. Polls open at 7 CET on Sunday. The country is set to elect its 70th government since 1945 with new rules cutting the number of deputies and senators by around a third. Italian law suspends opinion polling in the fortnight leading up to election day, but surveys taken earlier in the month indicate victory for the centre-right coalition, with Giorgia Maloney's far-right Brothers of Italy the largest party. Let's get out to Germana who has now moved on to Rome. Tell us a little bit about the battle for Rome, Germana. <laughs> That's right. We finally made it to Rome, Jeff, and looking forward to Steve joining us over the weekend as well. Uh, well, this week, look, we have gone through all of Italy talking about the main issues into this election. Obviously, the country is in an energy crisis, much like other countries in the Eurozone are. We've talked about the impact that that is having on industries, the concern about the economic outlook for next year, S&P, uh, earlier this week revised down their outlook for growth to minus 1.3% for 2023. So the incoming government is going to inherit all of these issues and they're going to have to deal with them ASAP. But I think it's interesting right now to just take stock of how these polls are looking as we head into Sunday. It was only two months ago I was here talking about the potential resignation of Mario Draghi. It happened a couple of days later and here we are two months in. September 25th now is that election date. All of the polls so far are pointing to a win for that right-wing coalition. And what is interesting about this is the margin of the, the gain uh, of the lead that they have versus center-left. I heard you talking about 2001 just uh, before you came out to me. I also want to add another statistic to that. 2001 was the last time the center-right had such a big the gain over the center-left. And back then it was Mr. Berlusconi, who's very much still around, obviously still leader of Forza Italia. And the gain then was something uh, close to around 14, 15 percentage points. If the polls are correct, we're looking at a, a, a gain this time of about 19 to 20 percentage points, which means it's the largest gain ever in history. So that is very, very notable and also could put the right-wing coalition on course for what is known as a supermajority, which means they'll end up with two-thirds of the seats in both the upper and lower house. Could be very significant because it means that they can change the constitution without going down the path of a referendum. So that's one thing to think about. Second is turnout. Now, back in 2018, turnout was around 73 percentage points. This time around, people are saying that turnout is going to be a little bit lower, possibly around 65 percentage points. People are much less mobilized. And it's also one of the reasons why so much of this campaign has been played out on social media, on TikTok. You have all of these leaders doing TikTok videos all the time because they're trying to appeal to the younger generation to get the younger generation out to vote as well. Final point worth considering, and we've talked about it a lot. Look, Italian governments tend to change very, very often. We put a digital piece out about it, uh, about why the system tends to change governments every 13 to 14 months. It is because it is a very complicated electoral system of both first-past-the-post and proportional representation. This encourages coalition building. But then, once these coalitions are actually governing, it's very difficult for them to stay homogenous in their approach to things. And one of the major questions going forward is whether or not this party, these three parties, Forza Italia, Lega, 
and Fratelli d'Italia can actually hold it together long enough to take them the full way for the next five years. And uh, I think that is going to be one of the major themes going forwards. Humana, all excellent, and I'll be drawing on your extensive knowledge of the last week. When I join you over the weekend, very exciting. We've got a weekend in Rome together. Uh, but, but, but my point here is um, the old French phrase, enfant terrible. Uh, and we see it time and time again, where a young new party in Italy threatens to shake everything up, becomes the, from the enfant terrible or, or, or the, the new kid on the block uh, to actually quite an establishment type party. And we saw it in Greece with Syriza, which was a great example with uh, Mr. Cyprus, who became pretty mainstream by the end of his tenure in Greece. And we've seen it quite a lot of times with various parties in Italy, whether it's Forza or whatever Berlusconi's promised whenever he's been out of government, whether it's Five Star, and possibly this time round, whether that's the same case with Fratelli d'Italia. So that is the hope of the mainstream that I've been speaking to in Italy and the hope of the pro-Europeans yeah. in Italy that, yes, all the protestations will douse themselves down once Maloney, if she becomes prime minister, uh, actually has to start getting into the nitty gritty of European relations and actually working through Italy's problems. Your, your thoughts on that? I think it is so accurate what you're saying. And if you look at the language that has come out of leader, leader Maloney uh, just over the course of the campaign, it has significantly moderated. And yesterday we had an interview with former prime minister and uh, Italian statesman uh, Roman Prodi on street signs. And I thought it was interesting because he even himself drew the distinction between the old Maloney and the new Maloney. And his view is that the new Maloney, quote unquote, uh, would be someone who is incentivized to bring, a, bring in a moderate foreign affairs uh, minister as well as a moderate uh, finance minister. And as long as those two posts go to more moderate people, more Europhiles, people who understand some of the major geopolitical issues. And remember, Maloney has been consistent when it comes to Russia and support for Ukraine. And on the economic side of things, she's also been very consistent about not wanting to increase Italy's debt pile, which has set her on a, a, a clash path with Matteo Salvini. So on those two subjects, I would say there has been an evolution. And to quote uh, Mr. Prodi, a man who governed Italy for many, many years, uh, what the market is looking for is the new type of Maloney, which one we'll get, we have to see. Mana, can I just weigh in with what happened to the left? Because there seems to be just a lack of coordination for any alliances, but also just disenfranchised voters. Just uh, give us a, a glimpse as to what's happened to that side of politics in Italy at this point. So uh, earlier on when I was talking about the way the electoral system works here, it does encourage the formation of coalitions and, and a united lists. And there was a moment right at the beginning of the campaign when it kicked off, when it looked as though PD and Azione Party, led by Mr. Calenda, which is a centrist party, were going to be able to form a united alliance together. But that fell apart uh, in the subsequent days because there was some con conflict about uh, Mr. Calenda's desire to work with some of the more left-wing parties that PD wanted to bring on. So right now you're staring at PD, who are sitting at around 22 percentage points. You've got the third poll, which is the centrist parties, that's Azione and Italia Viva, the party that's led by former Prime Minister Matteo Renzi. And then you also have Five Star Movement. Don't forget about them. They were the main party that uh, walked out of the Draghi government. They've also actually been polling very, very well in the run-up to this election. Some good momentum in the last couple of weeks uh, seems to be resonating, but of course significantly down from where they were back in 2018, currently polling 
at around 12 percentage points back then at 30. So they have dropped substantially. But all of this to say, Karen, is the left haven't been able to put on a, as united a front as the right have. And because of the way the electoral systems work, this is probably they're going to pay for it when when Sunday's results come out. Um, the, the the system will favor uh, the parties that have managed to put aside their differences, at least for the short term, to get into the seats. Once they're in the seats, then again, that remains a, a question that remains to be seen. But uh, I think to your point, I actually spoke to one of the PD lawmakers earlier this week, the international spokesperson for PD, and I asked her about this exact point, and she even said uh, things would have looked different if we were able to form a more broader-based coalition. Lovely work. And I know you've got another uh, good interview coming up later on today. I think uh, with um, Emmanuel, uh, big word, Fianno Emanuele, who is the uh, uh, MP for the Democratic Party. So very interesting to see what the DP thinks there. And uh, unfortunately for the viewers, by the way, who were expecting an interview that we were hoping to conduct right. now, okay. um, we, we had a, a polling expert on Italy booked for now. Right. Um, but, but it just turns out when sound rang that person up, we, we had a slight problem. Okay. Well, it's a technical, technical issue with yeah, the connection. Yeah, yeah, you could say that, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's a shame. Yeah, it do you want to know what the technical issue was? Would have been interesting yeah, to hear. it's a real yeah. shame. Yeah, none of us speak Italian and right. the guests didn't speak English. Okay. We'll have to brush up on <laughs> Italian before the so next election. apparently right. the bookers, this is genuine, our, our team booked a guest, right. but didn't check whether they could speak English. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you'll get a chance to brush up your Italian over the weekend. Hey, at least. hey my, my Duolingo Italian is okay. pretty damn good. Bellissimo, I, eh? I, I know most animals in Italian, I can assure you. Well, that'll be very helpful yeah. for the election. In a squalo, squalo, it's oh, a shark. Right. Baluena, it's a whale. Okay. Formica, yeah. I think that's an ant. Well, it's Uccello, going to be. that's a, a bird. It's going to be a very interesting restaurant that you go to over the weekend, <laughs> isn't it? Especially for a vegetarian. Uh, well, coming, what's up, coming up on the show. Coming up on the program. Hopefully, guests in English. I think you can eat the whale, can't you? Uh, oh. Well, wrong very country, new, I think. Do you know, the Inuits, actually, is very, very nutritious, wild meat. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Coming up on the programme, the Bank of England raises interest rates by 50 basis points, a modest increase compared to some of its global peers this week. Uh, we'll talk about that some more after the break. Uh, and just in case you are concerned, no whales have been injured or affected in the making of this program, and we do not condone the eating of whales. We will be right back, everybody stay with us. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. UK Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng will unveil a mini-budget later today, his first since assuming office two weeks ago. Analysts are already expecting it will be a major tax-cutting event, with potential cuts to corporation tax and stamp duty, in addition to the national insurance rise reversal confirmed Thursday. Bank of England policymaker Jonathan Haskell says the UK government's plans for expansionary fiscal stimulus are putting the central bank in a, quote, uncomfortable position. 
Haskell warned that the country's supply chains are compromised, adding that expansion would be very difficult in the context of current limited supply. The Bank of England raised interest rates by 50 basis points to 2.25%, the highest level since November 2008, while warning the UK may already be in recession. The central bank expects inflation to reach its peak in October, sitting just below 11%. It's been a busy old week of central bank action, with most raising interest rates in response to a higher inflationary environment. The Federal Reserve, Swiss National Bank and the South African Reserve Bank all raised rates by 75 basis points, while the Bank of England and Norges Bank maintained 50 basis point hikes. Riksbank surprised though that 100 basis point move higher, while Turkey's central bank cut rates by a full percentage point, despite inflation in the country surging over 80%. Norges Bank Governor Ida Voldenbacher told CNBC that the macroeconomic picture in Norway is improving. Our reasoning is that as we are, uh, now have front-loaded the policy hikes, when we start to see the uh, effects on the economy and we're getting closer uh, to that uh, peak level, then uh, that also uh, warrants uh, a more gradual uh, approach. But that depends on developments in, in individual economies. And as I've said, we are now seeing signs that the economy is starting to, uh, to, to cool. <laughs> The Japanese government intervened in the foreign exchange market for the first time since 1998, taking action to prop up the yen. The country's vice finance minister confirmed the government took, quote, decisive action but didn't give details. The Bank of Japan maintained its ultra-loose policy stance despite inflation soaring beyond its target of 2%, which I think has many in the market thinking, why bother intervening if you are not going to provide a more supportive monetary environment for the yen to appreciate? But anyway, we can talk about that a little later on in the programme. For more on the Bank of England action this week, as well as what other central banks are doing to fight inflation, you can visit cnbc.com for the story. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.